Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to episode 26 of Sexology Podcast. I'm Dr. Nazanin Moali, your host. First, I wanted to take the moment to express my deepest gratitude for you, for the listeners who are listening to this show, for those of you who left us honest review on iTunes and Stitchers and subscribe to this show. Many of you guys are familiar with my story, but I started this podcast because of my passion about this topic. Growing up, I grew up in a very conservative, repressed culture, and I didn't have that much information about sex and erotism from a sex positive perspective. And it was always my dream to share my knowledge and my expertise with other people. And I'm very grateful for you for helping me with this mission. I would really appreciate it if you share this show and and social media or tell one of your friends about us. Today, we're gonna talk about psychology of BDSM. I know many people think it is an uncommon, rare behaviors and fantasies, but interestingly, uh, one of the studies I read was published in 2015. They asked over 1,500 women and men about their sexual fantasies. 64.6% of women and 53.3% of men reported fantasies about being dominated sexually and 46.7% of women and 59.6% of men reported fantasies about dominating someone else. 
So overall, we can, I guess it's safe to conclude that many of us have thought about it. We have fantasies about it. And I know it's a difference between having a fantasy and acting on it, but it, I thought it would be a great idea for us to explore it further. Our guest today is Amanda Pashiko, licensed marriage and family therapist and ASAC certified therapist. She's the author of Playtime, Not Just for Children. She runs the group practice called the Sex Doctor, LLC, and is located in West Hartford. She's an expert in body image, BDSM, open relationships, and couples therapy. Here's my conversation with Amanda Pashuka. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. As I mentioned during introduction, I am so excited for our guest today, Amanda Pashuko. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and ASAC certified sex therapist. Amanda, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you. It's great to have you because I know many of my listeners and also my clients who listen to the podcast, they wanted to know more about BDSM. And I know that's one of the areas that you support your clients and have some knowledge about it. So I'm super excited to talk about this topic. Yeah, I'm very excited to bring you more information on it as it's something that I talk about most of my days as a therapist. <laughs> Makes sense. And these days, this concept is more, more in popular culture. So it's not something that people are not haven't heard about it. That's true. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's not like I know like a few years ago, a few decades ago, it was maybe more not as known, but these days more it's part of our culture. Right. So let's start with kind of knowing uh, what does BDSM stand for? I love this question because so many people don't actually know. Um, so BDSM, although it's four, four letters, it's, it's six different acronyms. So bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and then sadism and masochism. So any of those practices fall under that BDSM category. Okay, so it's interesting. I, I, yeah. Usually, people kind of think it's for four of four letters. Uh, like right? Them. Yeah, I had to, I had to pay a lot of money to learn this in sex therapy school. <laughs> to learn <that> it was <laughs> it's so funny. And what psychological effect does BDSM have on the people who engage in these behaviors? Because so I, I hear there are lots of misconceptions around this one. Yeah, I think that it has a psychological effect of very deep connection with both self and partners. There's intensity in BDSM that I've been told by clients, by friends, by professors I've had, that this intensity can't really be found in vanilla sex. And it's kind of this primal psychological effect that roots um, into power dynamics and back to back to the visceral sense of the body, I would say. Interesting. And I think a big part of it is trusting. I mean, I all, I, yeah, obviously with sex, part of it is that we're trusting another person with our body, but I feel with BDSM, it goes beyond that. Yeah, that's so such a great thing that trusting with our body and also in BDSM with our mind, with our well-being is the person who's in charge of a scene. Say it's two people in a scene. One is submitting, one's, the dominant or the top in charge where the submissive is trusting the top with just their physical safety. Right. 
and their body, but also their mind, emotions. And it's very, very intense level of trust. Hence why there's a lot of negotiations ahead of time. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel that contrary to what people think, people who most of my clients, at least I speak about the population I know, they have very good skills about negotiation and talking about sexuality and needs that I don't necessarily see with other couples because they need to have those things in place. Yeah. I actually had a client tell me yesterday, I had a very long day in the office yesterday, but one of my clients, I was like, oh, wow, your communication skills are great. It must be all the therapy you've done. And <laughs> she was like, no, it's not the therapy. It's absolutely being in the BDSM world. Right. Said, really? What do you mean? Say more. And I knew what she meant, but I just wanted to hear to make sure that I was understanding her. And she was just like, there's no way that you can make it within this community without crisp, concise communication skills, because without that, you're not going to have very much fun and people won't trust you and they won't want to engage with you. And I was like, thank you for being so awesome and eloquent and stating that. Right. And being kind of vulnerable about it. I think that's wonderful. Yes, they need to have, I think, again, it's just excellent practice to work on our communication skills around sexuality. I know can be very confusing and kind of uncomfortable, but I'm glad to hear that at least one community got it, got it right. Right. <laughs> and what are some, I know it's a range of behaviors, like BDSM behaviors. What are some of the common behaviors that you see that your clients engage in? Um, some of the common ones I would say are the power exchange that there's one person in charge and one person submitting, one person being the one who's inflicting the act and one person receiving the act, whether that be rope, right, rope bondage, or using a flogger, which is, you know, usually like a leather type of tool while whipping someone it doesn't actually hurt and the the one that's most common doesn't actually hurt it kind of feels like a massage but one person is inflicting and one person's receiving so it's like this give and take which is awesome because about half of the people I work with are into BDSM and another large portion are into Tantra um, like the sacred sexuality practice. And it's very similar when you hear them speak about. Oh, interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that part? Oh yeah, sure. So within Tantra, this idea that everything is sacred, there's spiritual beauty within the mundane. And then there's also mundane within the spiritual. So everything comes around as one, but this idea in Tantra sexuality and spirituality is masculine feminine and I don't mean male female I just mean one partner acting as the masculine and one acting as the feminine and as one person breathes in the other breathes out and they make this cycle of energy very similar in BDSM top to bottom the top leading the scene the submissive following the scene and that's basically they're creating a similar cycle and energy within their sexual lives that is so fascinating. I never, I obviously I knew about Tantra, but I didn't kind of make this similarity and connection there. But when you talk about it, it, it makes sense. I can see it. Yeah, it's something that I don't think is talked about much in our field, but it's the parallel is very fascinating when, you know, you're going through a whole day of sessions 
and you could be talking about Tantra and then BDSM and you're like, it kind of was like the same session, even though it was two <laughs> different things. That is so interesting. And one of the things I see a lot from the people that are not in the community, they're thinking about that they kind of have this negative image about personality characters of individuals who engage in this kind of behaviors. Part of it, like I know many people, part of their familiarity comes from Fifty Shades, which definitely wasn't an uh, accurate image. And it was kind of like borderline abusive. So it was hard to watch. But I'm thinking, what are the, some of the personality characteristics of individuals who are practicing BDSM based on science? So based on science, I was doing some research on this question recently. And because I've also had people with common misconceptions. So I think the misconception is that people must have been abused sexually or physically that they must be anxious or maladjusted in the world. And um, there was this research study in 2008 was one of the most recent ones I found. I know that was nine years ago, but you have to imagine funding for BDSM right. research isn't <laughs> so great. So we take what we can get. And um, there was a survey that was done anonymously and there they were testing the difference between people who engaged in sexuality practices that are considered vanilla and then sexuality practices that are BDSM. And there is absolutely no difference between the amount of people who were either sexually assaulted or were victims of sexual abuse, anxiety, maladjusted within, you know, they're a rate of succeeding within work or with relationships. There is not more sexual difficulties found So basically, the correlation that was found in 2008 is that there's no difference. Because of that, I wonder, with our DSM-5, which is what we use to diagnose as therapists, they got rid of a lot of the BDSM components that were once diagnosed as like something's wrong with this person, and now they're no longer pathological. I love that. Yeah, it was very interesting. And I think it probably had to do with this study. I think the DSM now has a few things, but it, before there was a whole big chapter on it. Right, right, which is very unfortunate because kind of like create this feeling of shame. I had this client who called me actually yesterday and he was looking, he was out of state so I couldn't see him, but he was telling me about how much shame he had around this like different kind of sexual behavior he had. And he was panicking because he was feeling it was it was it like a pathological thing, which was very normal. And you wonder what how much our culture kind of impacts our uh, experiences of our sexuality. Yeah, it really does. I think that there's a lot of shame. And before Fifty Shades of Grey, I would say there was there was probably more than we would ever know possible. But the one good thing Fifty Shades did, even though. Yeah, there, I have a lot of issues with the book, of course. The one good thing is it made it like okay to say, hey, I'm into kink. I like that. Right. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's interesting how well received it was. I was shocked about the interest of people in that. Yeah, I guess I guess they were waiting for it. All these people must have been waiting for something like this. Right, right. Something that they could see part of themselves in it, but it wasn't necessarily... I mean, it wasn't obviously accurate, but it had 
some kind of a different sexual behavior. And I think it was fantastic in the sense, as you said, that it kind of broadened people's understanding of what's, what's out there. Absolutely. So I know that sometimes I hear people are interested, they're curious, most of the time with my younger clients, they want to explore like BDSM, they're not sure they heard about it. And they, they're not ready to commit to like going to a dungeon or a full practice. Right. So what do you suggest as their first step for them? I would suggest talking to someone that they have a sexual relationship or at least sexual chemistry with about the idea of doing some type of play. What I mean by play is, okay, one of you is going to act as the person who is in charge and one's going to act as the person who is following the lead. Kind of like when you do formal ballroom dancing, there's a follower and a leader. And maybe talk to someone that you're comfortable having sex with or comfortable talking about sex with and really communicate discuss your boundaries, discuss your desires, what would be fun, discuss how awkward it might be. And it's okay. If it's awkward, we'll, everyone will live, we'll get over it. And um, I would say, talk about trust with this person that you trust them and want to explore what would it be like if they were in charge for 30 minutes within like a sexual experience. It doesn't have to be intercourse type sex. I mean, it literally could just be one person kneeling in front of the other person. And that's very powerful in itself. Right. And so, so interesting. And I know that part of the power play is some person is a submissive and the other person is a dom. How can they kind of negotiate and navigate that what would be a good fit for them? negotiate and navigate what like as far as yeah they haven't done it they want to see okay will i enjoy being a, a dumb or submissive or that's something that they can oh, okay explore? yeah i would i would do an exercise i would just use probably the kneeling or something like that one maybe stand about 10 feet away from one another if it's two people and one person stand one person kneel and the person who's standing would say okay like crawl here or wait, just give directives to the person who is acting as the submissive in that moment, maybe play with that for five minutes, and then switch, then have the one who is kneeling switch and kind of see what happens. And you'll see if this is for you, if it's really boring, and you're just like, what was the point of that? (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that's a really good non threatening way to start and just see what it's like for you to bow down, if you will, to someone else. Right. And the other part of it is I'm kind of thinking what happens if they both like to be at like a down position or submissive position? That's a great question. Hopefully they'll be into switching and doing both. If they're monogamous, if they're in a monogamous partnership, hopefully they'll be okay with switching and doing both things. A lot of people not all, but a lot of people who practice BDSM and are in the community of BDSM going out to dungeons or going to events, they are in open relationships because with one person, they might want to be submissive. With one person, they may want to be dominant or they are dominant all the time and want to have different people submit to them and vice versa. So I think that if it's just a couple who's playing around with it and you're both 
want to be submissive, then hopefully you love one another enough to just switch it up. But if you really are serious about this, there is a submissive and there's a dominant out there for everyone. There's a lot of people in this world. You brought up a really good point about like, hopefully you're willing to kind of experiment with different roles as part of sexuality, because I know that we don't necessarily, we do part of things, part of sexuality is kind of give and take. You do things for your partner and they do hopefully things for you. So it's interesting you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of a big part of the, the relationship, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. And kind of like negotiating and talking about that. That's important, which kind of a trend would, is a good transition to the next question. I know people, let alone around sexuality, they have, they feel lots of shame and they're even where, when into the vanilla sex, they're not able to talk about their needs and what's exciting for them. So how our listeners can bring up this specific topic to their partners uh, that they are interested to try these behaviors but they want to kind of talk about it in a way that doesn't necessarily freak the partner out. Well, I'd probably say, I'd probably blame it on you and your podcast and say, Hey, I was listening to this thing. (laughs) And right. That would be a good intro because then you could take off some of the, that this was your idea. This was your fantasy because the reason that it's in your mind today or next week with your partner is probably because you heard this podcast, right? So Therefore, they could kind of be like, oh, yeah, I heard this podcast and they were talking about power exchange and giving pain or receiving pain. What do you think? Is that like totally crazy to you? And probably ask probing questions um, and say, you know, I know it's never been anything that we've done, but kind of interesting. Would you want to play? And instead of saying, do you want to do that? What about just saying, do you want to play? Play is to me, the essence of what sexuality is for adults. It's actually why I named my book that I wrote Playtime, because I think that sex is our playtime. And so why not ask your spouse to play? Such an interesting point you brought up. And I saw the book and hopefully I'm going to read it soon, but I was, I'm definitely with you about the concept of play, because if, if we're looking at it that way, we don't necessarily take it as serious as many people get. Yeah, exactly. It gives us some freedom within the shame and guilt and awkward feelings. It's play. And when you play, you're allowed to experiment. I hope. (laughs) Right. And it is such a big part of life. And I know that these days, productivity is the main goal for many people. And just they don't allow themselves to play. Right. Yeah. Which is just so sad. Right. And what an interesting topic to choose for your book. So tell us a little bit about the book. Oh, it's um okay. So it was written for mostly females beginning their sexual journeys. So I'm not, I didn't want to put an age on it because I realized that that might be excluding people. So any female identifying people who are beginning their sexual journeys, it's kind of like a how-to manual. The last chapter actually has BDSM, how-to, how to begin, how to bring it up with your partner, what do you need for a scene, a kink scene or a kink play event, how do you negotiate power within BDSM, that's like the last chapter. But the beginning builds up to 
how to be your authentic self, how to communicate that it's totally awkward to bring up a lot of things about sex, but life is awkward. So let's keep going anyway. Right. And I think like some misconception that people have around sexuality and in general is that they see scenes in porn and they think it needs to be this perfect, like easy flowing thing that like, oh, there's no area for there's no place for awkwardness. But in reality, sex can be awkward. Yeah, sex is awkward at times, awesome at times, but life is the same way. So once we start being comfortable with that form of awkwardness, sitting in rejection or whatever it ha- whatever have you in real life, the same thing is true within sex. So it's just a mirror of our personality um, in the everyday world. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you created that resource, the book, and I make sure I put it on the uh, show notes because that I feel like starting the journey can be very confusing and we don't have enough resources to give us good, solid information. Yeah, I spent a lot of money on tuition to learn those things. So (laughs) I always say, oh, man, I really wish I had that book because it's not in like study type language. It's in very clear cut, I would say blog language almost. Right. As if how I'm speaking right now, it's just these types of words written. So very much my tone of voice. Great, great. And so at the end, I wanted to check in with about some of the misunderstanding you hear about the BDSM. What are some of the things that you commonly hear people kind of believe and think that they're not accurate? Um, that BDSM is a practice for those who are compensating because they have sexual problems in regular life. So they're compensating that everyone who's in the scene must have been sexually abused by, I hear a lot about, they assume that people are sexually abused by people in their family. That's one of the biggest things I hear. I'm not sure why people identify it has to be a family member type of abuse, but it is very clear that people go to that one for some reason, that they are mentally unstable because they want to play with power. So if they don't feel good in their life, that's why they're playing with power because they're miserable in their regular lives. These are things that I hear on the regular, unfortunately. Right. And it's funny that similar to any kind of like behaviors, like when we, that's something to what we experience, maybe like then we kind of pathologizing it instead of saying, okay, some people are into this. I might, I'm not interested now and my interests might change in future because what I find that people want to define their sexuality in a very kind of a small box and they get shocked when they changes. Yeah, it's like, whoa, what? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's just like so sad that people associated with sexual abuse, of course, unfortunately, these days, abuses are a big part of people's experiences. Unfortunately, many people had sexual abuse. And from what I'm hearing, it's not necessarily, yeah, more in this population than any other population. Not any more than any other population that I would hear it in the sacred sexuality tantra, or just regular vanilla heterosexual couple it's everywhere distributed unfortunately right and it's interesting that how 
usually people discover their interest in BDSM. What are some of the theme, th- things that you hear from your clients about the first time they discover that this is exciting? One of my very good friends has this great story about how he had access to pornography magazines because of his parents. He knew exactly where they were. And so it was mundane for him to see the regular type of porn. And one day, I guess, I don't know, maybe he was a young teenager. He was walking down the road and saw next to the garbage can that there was an old magazine that had like leather or black on it. And it ended up being a BDSM pornography magazine. And immediately he was hooked. He was like, this is new. It's different. So a lot of people um, that I've spoken to say that because of porn, they're so easily um, able to get to any type of vanilla type sex that they go into a darker and darker place whether that be BDSM or threesomes or, I don't know, anime type of porn. It really, the porn industry has led a bunch of people there. That is so interesting. And I, I'm not necessarily surprised because most people, I mean, I'm being one of them, got most of their sex, sex education from internet early on. Yeah, I know. It's absolutely true in this this generation that that's how... It comes to be. They don't teach you that stuff in school, really. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're coming from a more conservative background. Oh, yes. Uh, I am a Catholic school girl uh, with no sex ed ever until much later in life. Absolutely. That makes it more interesting. Yeah. So I know we reached toward the end of our time. And I know you're probably have lots of great other information you want to share with our clients. But if our clients or listeners want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? Um, to just go to my website and email me there. Uh, the website is sexandmagic.com. Oh, I, and I love the name. Go, yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, if you just go to sexandmagic.com, there's a whole contact us page and it all the main stuff will lead to me. So you can contact me, ask questions. I'm usually very good about answering. If I don't answer within 48 hours, email me back. I must have forgotten, but I will email you back. Wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing all this great information with us, Amanda. Have a lovely day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As Amanda mentioned during our interview, the practice of BDSM carries with it a certain amount of social stigma. Many people think that individuals who are practicing BDSM are perverted, they're dehumanized, it's a dehumanizing experience. But interestingly, sometimes I actually hear it's more intimate than other kind of sexual behaviors that consider vanilla. Sometimes I hear from my clients who are practicing other kind of sexual behaviors to talk about how there was an issue with the consent. The person was not, the communication wasn't clear. They were not able to ask for what they wanted. But based on my experience in BDSM, the players always arrange things in advance with clear, intimate communication, which in my belief, creates a special erotic bond. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to show us some love by leaving an honest review on iTunes or Stitchers. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.